Awesome. So um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. We've been going through this book for a while, if, you're, if this is your first Sunday. And we're in week eight of this uh, series. And we're looking at uh, a pretty commonly understood text. But I'm kind of going to do a large chunk. Okay, I'm going to cover a lot of ground. I'm not going to read it all, so don't panic. Uh, we're not going to go through it piece by piece. But, but Paul is going to address something that I think is very hard for us as Americans to really let penetrate our hearts. And I don't really know how to make that happen other than the Holy Spirit to do something. And the reason for that is we enjoy, thank God, a tremendous amount of rights and freedoms in this country. It's, it's unbelievable if you compare us to other places. And this is a good thing. So at no point do I want you to hear me say that's not, that's not good. It's a wonderful thing. The more rights, the more freedoms, the better. Okay? However, we don't often know how to handle those very well as Christians. And, and I think we don't do a great job at overall at sort of knowing when to exercise our freedoms and when not to. And if, it's, if we have that many freedoms as Americans, how much more do we have as Christians? Because we've been set free in Christ. And so this is what Paul's going to wrestle with in these verses this morning, okay? Um, so the, the subject he's dealing with is food offered to idols. And if you're saying to yourself, I've never eaten food offered to idols, uh, you are not alone, okay? But wonderfully so, that's not the point, okay? And we'll get to that here in a second. So let's read, of course, I didn't turn off my screen lock. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 13. That's our first chunk. By the way, if you'd like notes, there's printed off, there's some printed off in the back, and you can click on the link in the video description for the same thing. All right. Now, concerning, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. There's some knowledge for you. Verse 4, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many quote, gods, and many, quote, lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, <clears throat> not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. 
Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. All right. So what's, what's the issue here in Corinth? Okay. They were sacrificing in Corinth. They were, they were a pagan culture, and they would do sacrifices to the various idols. They would kind of collect idols in that world, in that part of the world. It was like, let's cover all our bases and kind of worship all the gods. And they would do these sacrifices to these false gods using meat. And then the meat would then be sold at a very discounted price or sometimes even free. So you could get very cheap meat. It's like going to the discount meat counter at the Harris Teeter and getting a very cheap way to eat, way to live. Okay. The other thing that was happening, possibly... So, so one option is you go around behind the pagan temple after the whole thing is over and you buy the leftovers. The other possibility is that some Christians in the church in Corinth were actually attending the sacrifice and participate, sitting at the table with the rest of their community and eating with them and, in a sense, participating in the sacrifice to get the freshest cheap meat. Okay? Those are two possibilities. All right? I think, and many other scholars think, both were happening. And that Paul is actually addressing both things. We'll see later in chapter 10, he does a very strong condemnation of eating meat sacrificed to idols. And if you just read that with no context, you might be like, Paul's talking out of both sides of his mouth. On the one hand, he seems to say, you know, it's just because you have a weak conscience. It doesn't matter what you eat or don't eat. And then on the other hand, he seems to be condemning what Paul is doing, I believe, is he's drawing a distinction between, and I'll give you an example in our modern times in just a second, between eating the leftovers, which I think he would say is okay, just don't cause your brother to stumble, or going to the actual worship service of the demonic false idols, false gods, and eating with them. Those are two different things, okay? So let's relate that to Halloween, all right? Every year it comes up, and everybody argues on Facebook about Halloween, okay? This is a great example. There is a difference, right, between going and getting some candy and glorifying or exalting evil and darkness, okay? I often say whenever I do talk about Halloween, it's if you're going to do Halloween, just don't, what's important is you don't celebrate evil. And our culture really likes to celebrate evil, to, to take really dark, wicked, evil things and say, look how great it is. Isn't it fun to be scared? No, it's not. <laughs> it shouldn't be. Isn't it fun to kind of uh, watch movies that are full of darkness and evil and sort of celebrate it and honor it? Now, that's wrong. But there are ways to participate in the Halloween holiday without doing that, Okay. And everybody's got different kind of levels of sensitivity in their conscience about what that looks like. And we should never stand in judgment over another in that we should just let people do what's in their conscience to do, okay? And that's a great example of what he's talking about here, all right? Um, so don't miss the point, okay? The point is not what you eat or don't eat. Paul literally says that in, 
The point is not what you eat or don't eat. What is the point? Paul is not so much taking issue with what meat they buy at the market, but the reasoning behind their decision to do so. Paul doesn't have a problem with what they're eating. He has a problem with why they're eating it. The church in Corinth had this thing about knowledge. That's what he brings up in those first few verses. We know, because we know a lot about God, and we know a lot about the world, and we know a lot about how free we are in Christ, we have all this great doctrine and information that allows us, we can do whatever we want. I have learned, because I heard a great teaching, or I read it in the Bible, or whatever it is, I have learned that it's okay for me to eat this meat. Therefore, who is anybody to tell me I can't? And so I'm going to go do it. And it's causing this massive division in the church. And some people whose conscience is weaker, maybe they used to be really into idol worship and they became a Christian and they've joined the church. And that whole, that, eating that meat, just the smell of it, brings them back to those times when they were little children growing up and they actually believed that these idols represented real gods that really existed and they really were worshiping them. And to sit at a table with their brother or sister in Christ and to watch them eat that meat does really bad stuff in their soul. They feel gross just being around it. And here are these people in Corinth. They go, well, I know that it's okay, therefore I'm going to do it. You just need to get over it. If only you knew what I knew. If only you had the knowledge that I have. And Paul's like, that's the kind of knowledge that puffs up. It's not about knowledge. He's saying your reason for doing it should not be your knowledge. What needs to drive us is love. So they have the right to eat it, but it does not mean that they should exercise that right all the time. The question is not, am I free to? The question is, what is most loving? Look at chapter 8, verses 10 to 13. It says, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. That's, that puts it in a very serious perspective, doesn't it? So when this person is there stuffing their gob with meat and enjoying the discount meat and having their party next to their brother who is being destroyed in his soul, they are not just sinning against their brother, they're sinning against Christ himself. And when Paul sees it that way, he says, you should not, like me, should not eat meat at all. That's what Paul says. So this is the crux of Paul's teaching here. Eating food sacrificed to idols in front of a brother who has a weaker conscience is to sin against Christ so Paul won't do it. So let me point this out. The goal here is not to just avoid offending somebody. Okay, we, our culture is like loaded right now with the foolish attempt to live your life and do things worth doing that don't offend anyone. Those two things don't exist. They're incompatible with you. When anytime you do something worth doing, somebody's going to be mad about it. If you live a life devoted to Christ, you're going to have the life that Christ had. 
And Christ went around offending lots of people. Okay, the goal here is not to just say, I'm not going to offend anybody. Not at all. The goal here is to avoid tempting a fellow believer to fall into doing something that violates their conscience. You sacrifice your own freedom in order to avoid putting them in that terrible position. This is what love does. It sacrifices for the good of another. That is the point. So chapter 9 is all about, I'm not going to read all of chapter 9. Paul goes through this long kind of defense of his ministry. And the, the main linchpin of his defense is that he has sacrificed his rights for the sake of others. He has become all things to all men. In other words, if, if I'm going to a, a, a church where they would be offended by, what, by eating meat sacrificed to idols, I won't do it. If they want me to dress up, I'll dress up. If they want me to dress down, I'll dress down. If they want me to speak for five minutes, I'll speak for five minutes. 30 minutes, I'll do 30 minutes. An hour, I'll do an hour. If they don't want me to speak at all, I won't speak at all. And he, just, he says, I'm just going to, I will adapt myself. I will give up whatever rights, whatever freedoms I have in order to serve them the best. That's his defense. And he gives all kinds of examples. He says he has a right to marry, but he is not. That's a big sacrifice. Imagine that. We kind of jumped into that part of the pool last week. Imagine just deciding not to marry just so you can be more effective. That's what Paul did. He says he has a right to eat and drink what he pleases, but he does not. He has a right to be paid for his ministry, but chooses not to, at least from the church in Corinth. Before he ever went to Corinth, he says, you guys have this thing about money and sort of being the ones that have your favorite teacher and you pay him a lot because he's your favorite and it's a status thing. It's a way that makes you look good because here, look how much we're giving to this ministry. And he says, because of that, I'm going to accept nothing from you and I'm just going to work as a tent maker. And it embarrassed them because they needed to be embarrassed. That's hard for me to imagine. But that's what he did. And he gives these examples as he says, I'm not saying, like with the, in, in the case of getting paid and not getting paid, he says, it's good to get paid. It's good to pay a minister his weight, worth his wages. It's not wrong. He's not making a universal law there. He's saying, I didn't with you because I knew it would serve you better. Wow. Isn't that challenging? Why? He says, 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul is driven by this one thing. For the sake of the gospel, I'll give up whatever I've got to give up 
whatever lifestyle, whatever freedoms, whatever rights I have, I will give them up for the sake of the gospel. He is imitating Christ by not seeking his own advantage. Isn't this what Jesus did? Who has more rights and freedoms than God himself? He is the definition of freedom. That's what sovereignty is. It's ultimate freedom. And what did he do? He set it aside and he allowed us to bind him in chains and hang him on a cross. The ultimate loss of freedom is death. That's what Jesus did. So Paul looks at Jesus and goes, well, okay, that's what I'll do. He's willing to sacrifice any and all of his personal freedoms, including death, which he ultimately did for this one thing. So let's be honest with ourselves for a minute. What's the first question we usually ask of ourselves? What gives me the most pleasure? What's the most fun? What's the most freedom I could enjoy? What's the best thing for me? What's the best thing for my life? What works best? What pays me the best? What gives me the most choices and options in life? What choices can I make in order to give myself the most options that I can maximize my freedom and happiness in this life until I'm dead? We usually think in terms of what gives us the most. If I'm allowed to do it, then I'm going to do it. If I'm if, it's, if God's not going to go to hell for watching this movie, I'm going to watch this movie. If I'm free, I'm going to exercise all of those freedoms that I have. And we usually save the last question, the last concern, to be what is the most loving? What's best for you? What's best for my neighbor? What's best for my children? What's best for my spouse? What's best for the body of Christ? What is best for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That is quite often the last thing we add. After we have satisfied our own freedoms and protected our own rights for ourselves and made sure that no one is infringing on those rights, then we'll say, then I'll serve God. Once I've got my, my career squared away and my marriage squared away and my children squared away and my retirement fund squared away, then I will serve God. Paul can't even fathom this. We enjoy so many rights as Americans that it can become very difficult to freely choose to not exercise one of them for the sake of another. This is why we've reduced everything down to the individual in our country. And we don't know, we get really confused when my rights and my freedoms infringe on someone else's. Because it happens all the time. Two people who are enjoying their freedom of speech on opposite sidewalks yelling at each other and you can't hear anybody. Yeah, dueling protest signs. Demanding their rights. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have the right to free speech. It's a wonderful thing. Everybody should have it. But should you necessarily say that thing to that person right now? How do you decide when to speak to someone and when not to and what to say? Is it based on, I can say it and I will say it? <laughs> or is it based on, 
What's the most loving thing for me to say right now? What's best for them? I think it's amazing that this principle of love first, especially just look at 1 Corinthians, it supersedes our freedom in worship. It's the principle Paul applies in chapters 12 to 14 to regulate worship. It supersedes even your right and freedom to use your spiritual gifts. Because Paul's concern, he says, I want you to prophesy. We'll get to this. I'm trying, I don't want to preach this ahead of time, but it's, it's a great example. I want you to see how serious this principle is. Because we tend to think, well, I have this gift. I can use it whenever I want. And however I want, when God gives me a word, I'm going to say it. And y'all can just, I don't care who gets offended, right? And there's some truth to that. That's a prophetic attitude. However, Paul then says, what's most important, even in that, is love. So he says things like, don't repeat each other. You have two people with the same prophetic message. One has to be quiet, and the other one gets to speak. What if you, we always imagine I'm the one that gets to speak, because obviously. What if you're not the one that gets to speak? What if two of you come up, I don't know that this has ever happened here, but, and two people have the same word, and you've got to tell one of them to sit down. you just got to eat it. You don't get to say it. Because it's the same thing. How are you going to feel? Well, I, I, you're just shutting down my gift. Yes. Yes, I am. Because it's love first, right? That's a hard thing for us. We, we'll, it'll get harder when we get to those verses. You see how big this principle is to Paul. It's as central. What's best for the church, what's best for those people. So what about Legalism. Legalism should not constrain us. Legalism is a person with a weak conscience imposing their weakness on others. I don't like what you're eating. You may not eat that in my presence. That's a person being a legalist. See how this gets confusing? Love is the strong covering the weak. Legalism does not constrain us, but love absolutely does. In fact, love is always costly to the one doing the loving. A number of years ago, I had someone in our church who is no longer here, and you'll know why in just a minute. This person came to me one day demanding that I impose essentially a law on Living Hope Church that no one's allowed to drink alcohol. Because it's a slippery slope argument. Because once that starts, there's going to be adultery and it's going to be mad, just madness. Right? That was the argument. Really, it was because they had a weak conscience. Instead of food sacrificed to idols, it was alcohol. And I said, brother, I love you, and I won't drink around you, ever, not once. Not a problem. But what I won't do is impose your law on the church. Amen. Won't do it. So, he left. Right? It's okay. It's a good reason to leave a church. This is the difference between legalism imposing and love. I said, I will love you enough to be careful, to be very careful. And I will tell anybody and everybody that knows you, do not drink around him. It, it will offend his conscience. Don't do it. It would be sin for you to do it. You are sinning against Christ 
If you know this information and you sit down with him at dinner and you order a beer or a glass of wine, it is not a simple thing. You do not, you have the freedom in Christ to do it, but you should not do it because you love him more than your freedom. I think one of the greatest examples in history of this is the Moravians. You might know this story. I'm going to end with this. In the 1700s, two Moravian missionaries arrived at the Caribbean island of St. Thomas, which was a slave island. And they wanted to to reach these slaves with the gospel. They had come all this way just to do this one thing. And they found that they were denied access to the island because they didn't own it. You can't come, you can't preach to these slaves, you can't do it, stay there. And so what did they do? Did they turn around and go home and say, oh, well, we tried. No. What they did is they sold themselves into slavery. They said, all right, what do I need to pay? What am I worth as a slave to you? I'll pay it. I'll pay myself, buy my way in. And as the story goes, as they sailed and left port to the island, now slaves for life, they were heard to exclaim, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. See, that's Paul's attitude. He says, I don't, I don't care what it costs me. I'm doing this for Jesus. And so the question, for, see, see how it's hard for us with so much ease and, and, and affluence that we have here and so many rights that we enjoy. It's hard for us to get our heads around and, and, and kind of engage with this heart attitude. But here's, here's a question that I want to leave you with. What are you not willing to give up for the cause of Christ? Or maybe an easier question would be, what would you hesitate to never do again? Just hesitate. If it meant you could reach some, possibly reach someone, what would cause you to go, ooh, oh, ooh, I don't know, I don't know if I can do that. There's a long list of things for me. <laughs> Just a, and it's, it's sickening how long that list is of things that would make me hesitate that I have to go, oh, I need to pray about that. And selling myself into slavery is way down on that list, right? But I think your answer to that question gives you a clue as to where the idols are in your life. Where your allegiances are above Christ. I hope at least it's not at barbecue. (laughs) I will never eat barbecue again. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. You're welcome, Dad. Bacon. Bacon. Mm. Mm. I am not called to Israel. So I'd like just to pray, and all of us just kind of ask this question. I mean, it's a dangerous question to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what is it that would cause me to hesitate, if I, to, to make a decision to say, I will never do this again. What would, what would make you hurt and make you hesitate. And that is the thing that the Holy Spirit is zeroing in on and saying even that. Maybe it's just a right, a freedom. The freedom, 
The freedom just to go where you want. That's what you're giving up as a slave. The freedom to buy whatever you want. The freedom to say whatever you want. Live as you please. It's a long list of things. And so I want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit because it's no good just to kind of make yourself feel guilty and beat yourself for a few minutes and then leave. I want the Holy Spirit just to pinpoint some things that he wants you to recognize as a little idol, not a real God, a false one, a false Savior in your life. So Holy Spirit, we ask you just to alert us. God, we know the idols are there. We know the things are there. But we need you to point them out. God, help us to be love-first people in all things. God, help us to imitate Paul as he imitated Christ. That there was no freedom, no right. He was unwilling to forego. If it was what was required to advance the gospel where you would call them. So God, help us to be people like that. God, we love being free. <laughs> we love being free in you. We love the grace that you've given us. And God, we rightly despise legalism. God, I pray that we would be love-first people who ask that question first, what is the most loving thing I can do? What would maximize my relationship with this person so that I can bring the gospel to them? God, help us with people that are willing to do whatever it takes to do that. God, lead us into that in this season. God, well, I do pray that we would be fruitful, a fruitful tree. God, we are jealous for that season to be upon us and upon this nation and upon the church. God, I pray that we would not let that season pass us by because we are clinging to things that don't matter. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.